Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. In this podcast, I chat with Pastor Dave Schmigal. Dave is the campus pastor at Lincoln Theater at National Community Church. At National Community Church, or NCC, they hold service in movie theaters. It's a very interesting and unique model. In this episode, we talk about discipleship. We talk about Dave's journey to becoming Pastor Dave. We also talk about spiritual gifts, questions that he has, as well as international missions. Looking forward to diving into this podcast and hope you guys enjoy the show. Welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I am joined by Pastor Dave Schmigel. Um, in this episode, I'm just super excited to get the, uh, the opportunity to chat with Pastor Dave, um, learn more about NCC and what he's been up to um, these past few years. Um, just for a bit of context so uh, everybody understands and knows, National Community Church is based in Washington, D.C., Pastor Dave Schmigall is a campus pastor um, at the Lincoln Theater. And a few core convictions that I would like to share as well um, uh, for NCC is that, that the church ought to be the most creative place on the planet. The church belongs in the middle of the marketplace, and God will bless the church to how we give to missions and care for poor in our city. I, I just think that's super important to touch on at the beginning, just to... Um, ease us into this episode. So, Dave, thanks so much for joining today. It's great to be here. Thanks. Absolutely. So how I normally kick us off is by opening up in prayer. Yeah. Um, so I can open us up, and great. then at the end, I'm going to ask you to close us. Fantastic. Awesome. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us yet another day to to live and to grow and to be together in fellowship and just have an excellent community around us um, and not only NCC and, and the folks just in this building but um, the lives that we can touch around the world mm-hmm. I'm incredibly grateful to to just have to just have you with us here today with the Holy Spirit and just excited for a fruitful and and, and good conversation um, knowing that it will be all stem from you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Mm-hmm. So to kick us off, uh, want to just kind of open up, and now you're known as uh, Pastor Dave Schmickall, but um, I'm sure that, that hasn't always been um, in your kind of in, in your mindset. Can you kind of go back and talk about when th- that decision first came, that you decided that you wanted to be a pastor, um, and just kind of walk through that those early upbringings for me as well? Yeah, Dave the pastor. Um, I remember before that was like kind of Dave the goof off. <laughs> no, you know, it's uh, <clears throat> had an interesting journey. It's not been very linear. I think uh, that's a pretty common thing I would tell most people is is uh, if you choose to, to step in and follow Jesus, you're going to have a pretty non-linear path, which is a good thing. Uh, you're going to you're going to dip and turn and 
kind of go all over the place. I actually was planning a totally different trajectory for my life early on. I was into photography. I actually did professional photography. I did music for a season. I majored in music for a little while, jazz studies. Um, and then I ended up doing international relations. I mean, talk about... Every which way. Every which way. Are you kidding? I just, you know, in general, I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. In my early 20s, I remember friends that would go to college and they knew exactly what they wanted. And my 20s was pretty, pretty wanderlust. I, I liked a lot of things, but I didn't like one thing. And I, I didn't, and I, I definitely, pastoring was never something that I, I considered as uh, something that I wanted to pursue. I didn't necessarily feel called to that early on. And so um, I kind of dipped into a lot of different spaces. But, I, you know, I think a comment I would make off the bat, especially in your 20s, don't, don't treat it like you're trying to prove yourself at all, but treat it like it's a decade of experimenting of opening yourself up to uh, different different trajectories and spaces um, because you'll end up finding some really unique places where God is at work. And what's fun is now that I'm a pastor, I look back and I go, wow, I see pastoring through music. I see pastoring through photography, framing and context and setting. So you end up using so many of these experiences um, in, in how you see and understand and operate as a disciple of Jesus. So I, you know, to back to your question, if this is where you want to cut it, you know, when I was Dave the pastor, um, I, I was actually pursuing photography, and then as I was doing that in Chicago, Illinois, um, I was at a um, salad bar on my birthday, May 22nd, and our pastor happened to be there that that day that I was at the salad bar and he walks up to me and as I'm dishing my salad, he says, hey, what do you think about moving to Scotland and helping plant a church? And I just, it was so shocking to me. I hadn't even considered anything like it. But the moment he said it, I just knew, I just knew that's exactly what I needed to do. And uh, he said, it's a church for people that don't like church. Uh, we're going to go into a post-Christian environment and we're really going to experiment there in that space, really ask what it means to be a Jesus follower in that kind of space. And it just everything about it screamed, you need to be a part of this. And all of the kind of frustration that I had in my faith up until that point, some questions that I had, um, felt like the Lord was saying, criticize by creating. Okay, here you go. Join me. And let's see what this journey looks like. So I ended up saying yes, moved over, and and uh, helped plant a church in, in Scotland about 13 years ago. And that's really when my heart for pastoring began to form and knit in the in Scotland area. Wow, super fascinating. Um, one thing that you mentioned is uh, there's so many different roles that you can play um, in your ministry. And you can see um, pastoring in photography. You can see it in, in music. You can see it in, in yeah. the arts. And that's something that's... Uh, been incredibly important to look at and I think often gets overlooked yeah um, and you, you mentioned this uh, actually you know at service yesterday um, just giving a shout out and giving recognition to the, the production team mm. and the importance of mm -hmm. wow how much they they really do and how that's that's serving Jesus too and that's part and that's as you mentioned that's equally or even you know greater than than the work that you do yes um, 100% you know it in the Hebrew, there's an interesting word. 
um, when you go back to the original language. You know, what's interesting about Hebrew is there's about 7,000 Hebrew words in, in the Hebrew language. How many, can you guess how many are in the English language? Just take a wild guess. There's 7,000 Hebrew words. Yes. And how many are in the English language? Uh, I would say 15. About 150,000 in the English language. So if you think about it, um, when you go back to the original language, Hebrew and, and Greek, Greek is about ten to 15,000. What can happen is a single Hebrew word can mean 10, 12, 13 English words. So what, when you look at translations, when you look at the NIV, when you look at the ESV or any of these translations, mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting they're wrong, but I'm suggesting that they can be limited in their overall original texture. So let's just take one word. There's a word called avodah. Avodah in Hebrew means worship before God. It also means work. Isn't that interesting? So when they used the word avodah to talk about a profession, they also talked about it through the lens of worship. So their understanding of politics or being a craftsman that all connected to this idea that whatever you're doing, you're serving God. It's a spiritual act. And so they understood your work and your ministry is the same thing. Whereas we tend to separate it out. We go, ah, oh, the pastor. Or, and this guy is not really in ministry. No, 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 no. Going back all the way to the beginning, God's understanding of whatever we do, music, um, whatever profession, that is our act of ministry. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of a great example where you see the blending between the two in the scriptures. Wow. And how are you able to uncover these these different... Um, well, I studied Hebrew. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in year two now at Hebrew University studying, studying Hebrew language. And um, I've studied it over the years a little bit. I wouldn't call myself an expert at all. But I'm just, you know, that goes back to discipleship, being a lifelong learner and... I just find the original language so critical when we're trying to really understand what God is mm-hmm. speaking to us in his word. Mm-hmm. So speaking on discipleship, yeah. um, I know this is something that you're particularly interested in, mm-hmm. and I, I think there's a lot of different um, different meanings or a different different ways that people perceive discipleship. Yeah. Um, I just want to, to start pretty high level and yeah. what, what it really means for you. Mm. Well, I go back to, again, I go back to the scriptures. And the, the word is, um, I don't want to bore people with Hebrew words, but I just, I love language. <laughs> we'll um, start so important. But uh, Talmudim uh, is a student. It's a learner. Um, you would be, uh, basically, there would be a rabbi, and you would be invited by the rabbi to come and be a student of his. And you would learn to, you know, the, the line that was often used is you would be, the desire of a, of a student would be to be covered in the dust of your rabbi, which means you walked so closely by him. You were on, the, as you walked with him, you'd be covered in his dust. That's this idea of what a disciple looks like. It's three things that I think are really, really important. Number one, you looked at Jesus through the lens of a learner and a disciple. There's like a classroom component. He teaches. You sit with him. You sit with one another and you, you learn from each other by talking about something. Um, you study. The second thing would be um, apprenticeship. So if you think about a craftsman, 
um, you think about any of those industries, you don't really just learn by going to a classroom. You go on the job and you watch him, you observe him. And you saw that in the life of Jesus. He says, follow me. What he's saying is, just come in and watch me, observe with me. So there's a classroom, there's an apprenticeship space, and the third is just immersion, which means you're just completely surrounded in relationship with each other. And I have found all three to be absolutely critical when we think about the process of discipleship. What you oftentimes see in the West is one, or maybe a little mixture of two. So we tend to think kind of factually in, in the West. So we think classroom. You go to Sunday school. You go to a Bible study. And those are really important. But I think what's absolutely critical are those second and third components, the apprenticeship and the immersion, which is inviting people into your life. So when I've understood discipleship, and I've grown in that understanding, doing it very imperfectly, of course, is I have found that uh, real deep growth and learning happens when I invite men, when I invite people into my world, into my life. So they go with me to uh, the, the Syrian family that we have relationship with every week. I invite them to come along. Hey, just come along. Just spend time with me. Um, I invite them to come over to the house and we have a campfire. Um, sometimes we don't even talk about spiritual things. Just come and sit and swirl in that space. And that's kind of the immersion. Sometimes it's like when you're intentionally trying to do something, I'll invite him to come. Uh, if I'm meeting with somebody and we're talking about a specific topic, I'll say, hey, just come along with me and just sit and hang out and watch and observe. And not to say that I do it right, but we can talk about this. So that's apprenticeship. So I think those three elements really, really drive my holistic understanding of what it means to be a disciple. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. And when, when you speak on immersion, that's something that um, I, I, I know I can speak for myself. Mm. And we tend to think surrounding ourselves with fellow Christians mm. and people who are, you know, already seeking and desiring um, Jesus at a deeper level. And I think we start to find ourselves kind of pigeonho- uh, pigeonholing ourselves into this yeah. certain group. But I, I like how you mentioned immersion isn't just being with these people but also opening up and being with the syrian family too um and people you know outside of the faith and welcoming welcoming them in just just as a brother and as um as you know just as 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 we're told to do right yeah um friend of mine tony who's from greece um, he's a missionary Uh, he does a business's mission so he runs and operates a coffee house in Thessaloniki. And it's interesting to read uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians when you're in the, the country itself, the city itself. And one of the things that Tony is, is, is amazing to observe in him was he would invite his non-believing Greek friends, his uh, friends that didn't choose to follow Jesus, he would invite them everywhere. He would invite them to leadership meetings. So any meetings he would have with his staff, um, any meetings he would have that was talking about faith in any way. There were no meetings that none of them, that they were excluded from. So it was so fun because we went to a leader meeting like for their, their church. And it's a small church. And there was like four non-believers there. Mm-hmm. And they were talking and they were just sitting there watching. And I was like, this is a, I've, I've not really seen that before. 
but what was happening, and then we'd talk to them. We'd be like, what do, you, what do you think about all of this? And they would constantly say, we just like being a part of their lives. We like to watch. We, we feel like there's nothing hidden. And if we can come and be a part of anything, then we feel like we trust them more. And you could see this level of relationship that was forming as a result of the fact that they were just completely welcoming them into their lives. And that's just a picture of immersion to me. It's inviting people into your world. And I think we make it really complicated when in reality, you know, um, my brother doesn't serve the Lord. And I don't say, you know, he always jokes like, you know, you're trying to convert me, you're trying to save me. He's, um, I just love my brother to death, but I just tell him, I am on a journey, you're on a journey, let's do this together. Mm-hmm. And instead of putting him putting pressure on him, I'm just choosing to invite him along my own faith journey as well. I was like, I got questions of myself, and I'd love to ask those questions with you. So instead of feeling like I've arrived and he hasn't, we're on this journey still. And I may be in a different place of how I understand who Jesus is, mm-hmm. but I'm still inviting him into my learning environment. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, it's, it's challenging for, for me mm. um, as someone, you know, I, I, I never like to categorize myself as where I stand, right, in the journey mm-hmm. because it's, I think ultimately we don't, we don't know where we stand in our journey. Um, but but Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard said, I'm not a Christian. I'm becoming a Christian. That's an interesting statement. Something to think about. I'll be thinking about that. <laughs> All right, got a lot to think about uh, tonight before I go to bed. Um, but but yeah, I no, I I agree. Um, for me, it's been really important to to chat with people who are mm. in different walks of their life and ask mm-hmm. them the same kind of questions that I'm asking mm. um, and hear their take on it. Not not only questions that I don't know. But question, but then also questions that I know, and then see kind of how their answers are. Mm. Um, so that's that's been really good for me, and I, you know, I, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you, you touched on um, going over to Scotland, planting a church there. Yeah. And I know that this international missions is something that's still deeply part of your life now. Mm-hmm. Um, now with NCC's entire, you know, arm dedicated to missions, both domestic and overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, can you point to that experience as something that really kind of sparked the sparked the fire for you in, in serving internationally? Um, it, or, you know, is it something else? And why do you continue to, to make this a big part of your life? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I was uh, 16 years old. I went on, on a mission trip with El Salvador. And uh, it was after a service at night, uh, after a 10 p.m. service. So I think it ended at midnight. I was lying on a dirt road in the middle of, of, uh, of a rural village. And I really felt like that was kind of a, one of the few moments that I would describe at 16 that God was no longer just a name to me, that it was something deeper than that. And um, up until that point, I had grown up in church, but... Uh, it was my parents, some that I had borrowed. But it was in the context of meeting people that were so different than me, that looked different than me, that talked different, and yet I was so astonished at how close-knit we felt. We were brothers and sisters. 
And that fascinated me from a sociological, cultural, cross-cultural perspective, a human level and a spiritual level. How can we travel across the world and yet feel like we're so connected? And as you begin to study the scripture, you understand what the, the, the role of the body of Christ looks like globally, that um, we have become one as a result of um, what Christ did through the cross and the resurrection and the unifying of the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians talks about so much of this idea of neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We say Republican nor Democrat around here. But I, I think it was that context that shaped me. And so because it was in that, in that environment, I fell in love with culture. I fell in love with different. I was, I was a suburban white kid from Chicago. I mean, I grew up in a very homogenous environment. But it just something triggered in me. And he, he, he wired me uniquely to love different people and to celebrate that. And I think I, I, I touched the nerve ending of, of God's heart. He loves, he's made us different for a reason. And it's actually the difference is what makes us potpourri almost. You know, potpourri is a great example where the aromas come from the, the collision of different aromas together at the same time and I would describe the body as kind of aromatic in that sense so yeah that was kind of a, a moment for me that triggered and, and called me really into be um, not just a follower of Jesus but understand what our mission and our purpose is and that's a holistic vision that's to assist the, the poor care for the sick that's to transform through reconciliation so there's a spiritual, there's a physical, there's a social dimension to the gospel. That's the whole gospel. And what you see in our culture is oftentimes justice, the social justice movement. And then you've got movements where it's about morality, purity, holiness. And you look at the gospels and it's both. Jesus came that we might be saved, but he does this through physical healing. He does this through uh, social transformation. And he does this through our spiritual transformation. And I think that is the goal of every Christ follower, is to model the whole gospel. And that's our calling. Missions isn't a side thing. It's not something that we do on the side. It's fused into everything that we do. It's how we see the world around us. It's how we understand our, our workplace. It's how we understand when we go overseas. And I think that's something that um, I look at, and I, I think culture looks at it as a, a part to whole rather than it's it's a whole and it, yeah. we are a whole right right, right? right. Um, and yeah submissions is something that's just a, another mm. another piece of it right. but rather than it, it it's infused and interwoven right. into the body and I like that analogy um, especially you know when exp just ex explaining Jesus Christ and using physical limbs almost yeah and being able to to draw together you know this this community here is able to support this community here. That's right. And then furthermore, how scripture explains scripture too. That's something that I really learned and how, as you mentioned, it's the gospel in entirety That's um, right. rather than just bits and pieces. So. That's right. You know, I have the pleasure because we've got Republicans and Democrats at NCC. We've got everything. Mm -hmm. And I have the pleasure of seeing both. And so I don't, it's not a side thing. So, you know, you can caricature different sides but you know I would say the the conservative movement would would probably be caricatured as um, 
there's a, there's a morality there's a there's a morality that's critical to life that there are moral absolutes and we're called into right living and that's good I believe in that um, I think the the liberal side would probably take a little bit more of there's a, a justice component there's a protect the poor and the innocent again that's not suggesting that either side doesn't have a mixture of both but I think there's sort of those polarities. And if you read James 127, true religion is this, to care for the widow and the orphan. In the second half, we skip. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's the righteousness, the moral purity part, and there's the justice part right there. True religion is both. So when I see that justice and righteousness fused throughout all of the prophets, if you read Isaiah, you're going to see justice and righteousness are connected to each other. Right living through Jesus and pursuing purity in the way that we live and pursuing justice and fighting against injustice and walking with the poor and the oppressed. It's not one or the other. It's both. So I'm called and challenged to live in both spaces with high integrity. So, you know, I... People try to peg me or they peg the church in certain ways. Oh, you're a justice guy. And they go, yes, but also, it's, yeah. it's a lot bigger than that. So don't just pin me or pin us down into one area. We're a much broader understanding of what the gospel looks like. Great. Um, on that note, um, Democrats and Republicans, something <laughs> yeah. that has been... Um, ever more prominent now the past few months. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, as we, we definitely see a greater divide um, right. in our country and especially in the nation's capital. Mm -hmm. um, something that you mentioned yesterday um, I want to speak about. Uh, you mentioned, you know, I think a lot more of us in this church have to forgive Donald Trump. And yeah, I, that yeah. was something... You felt the tension in the air when I said that, didn't you? Yes, and that was something that it was tough for you to say. And, you know, it was... Yeah. And I, I understand because of just the, the the people in the room and the people that are, you know, listening to you and hearing what, what you know, what you're preaching. Um, what did you think about it? Great question. Um, I, I completely agree. I'm, um, I'm personally, you know, I, I see myself uh, as a Democrat, but mm -hmm. I don't, um, I, again, I'm accepting of, of everyone and I really try and live that out too. Um, so how I do that, it's still a, still a journey and a process, yeah, but, right. um, I really enjoyed hearing that and, um, I try and keep that open mind as well. Right. Um, so yes, I, I forgive Donald Trump. Yeah. It's tough. It's a, you know, that was, I got that uh, several days ago when I was in prayer and one of the things I sensed was, are you willing to say that out loud? Um, yeah, we're a nonpartisan church, so we don't take, we don't use policy. The, the pulpit is a policy platform. Uh, people will want us to speak out against a, a politician or, um, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, uh, we don't speak out to issues. So we've talked about refugees. Um, but in this particular instance, what I do see is there are a lot of people that, uh, feel very justified in some of his actions right now and some of the decisions that are made, some of which are, um, I, would, I would certainly disagree with. I think um, I would really challenge, uh, regardless of whether I'm Republican or Democrat, which I would never tell um, in my particular role. 
But what I would say is um, a lot of people feel like they're on the right side, but they have the wrong spirit. And hatred is in their heart. And when they think about him or some other people, there is deep hatred in, in or anger um, deep in there. And I, I think that needs to be challenged. And that doesn't mean that we don't disagree. Like I said yesterday, I think, I think we should call out injustice. We shouldn't be silent. But if, if you have anger and hatred in your heart towards somebody, then you're not following the way of Jesus. And that's really hard. And so I just felt like, you know, people have some baggage right now over him. And uh, we need to release that. And we need to just choose to forgive like Jesus forgave on the cross. Like Jesus forgave Judas. Can you, could you forgive somebody and love somebody knowing that they're going to betray you? That's radical love. Jesus, for, Jesus loved Judas knowing that he was going to betray him. That's crazy to me. And so there's our example. But that's hard. And, you know, just, I got some responses from that, most of which was, uh, I did not want to hear that, but that's absolutely right. And, I, you know, I just think we've got to continue to listen to the Holy Spirit. And, um, go from there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot, and I'm sure... Yeah, I, I'm sure it's kind of a roller coaster even talking about it and then hearing the, the after after effects as well and, and how people responded. Um, and that's something that, you know, as you mentioned, you you only get to, to preach four, four times a year. Um, five, four or five, five times a year. My platform is not as much in that space. Mm-hmm. It's in other spaces, so, yeah. So you, yeah, so I you try and make, I guess, mm-hmm. use the most important or what you think is, um, right. hits, hits, hits home for you right. and for the people. Um, so uh, other thing I wanted to, to chat about is, um, kind of on a more personal level, we see various levels of faith engagement, um, at National Community Church, mm-hmm. but more so across the world, um, what advice do you have for, for those who are interested in exploring a relationship with Jesus and, and also for, for, for followers uh, who are interested in seeking more and desiring more um, in their involvement and, and also just how they can really kind of focusing on that doing and, and getting involved and acting on their faith? Hmm. Well, uh, <clears throat> that's a great question. I mean, the question is going deeper, I guess, is your main question. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, th- I think <clears throat> one way that I would frame that is, um, do we have a growth mindset? Are we always in a place of cons- continued desire to grow and learn? Um, meet too many people that are pretty static pretty satisfied where they're at and is that a salvation issue no um but you're missing out and jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full i think what he's talking about is he's created us to live fully alive spirits and lives and i hunger for that and so i think it starts with 
just a recognition and desire that I want to have a growth mindset. And so if you do that, think about any kind of training, training up for godliness, training up for sports. You know, as Paul talks about in Timothy, he, he uses sports as an analogy. I mean, we're going back 2,000 years and we're still using sports as an analogy for men, right? But it's true. Um, if you want to become a professional athlete, you've got to have a training regimen. You've got to have a goal of, of wanting to reach this particular goal. You've got to pay attention to how you sleep. You've got to pay attention to how you rest in off-seasons. And I, you know what's interesting is I just it's the same thing in terms of our spiritual growth. Is um, Do we have that level of hunger and tenacity to grow and mature in our faith? So I think that's foundational, is this idea that I really want... To, to approach my spiritual growth as training to be somebody that's going to be maximizing all that God has for me. So um, I think there's a bunch of starting points with that, but I think the main thing is making sure that you're getting in with a group of guys that are hungry for the same thing. So getting in relationship and community um, is a big part of that to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Um, and then I think what I would describe is baseline. So no matter what, these are the, the baseline areas that even when life gets busy, even when life gets stressful, I will not, I will not miss these critical elements. And you know, my wife and I say this: like when we get really, really busy, we tell we text each other. We'll say, "Back to the basics. Let's make sure the basics are in place." So I'm up in the morning, um, and I've got my prayer routine. Um, and I, I approach prayer like a sandbox, so it's not the same thing every time. I'm going to enjoy time with God. So um, I'm developing that prayer muscle and that meditation muscle. I'm in the scriptures every day. I do go through the scriptures in a year. Um, super simple. I just check it off. I go through four chapters a day as best as I can. Um, make sure my laundry's done. Make sure my room's clean. Um, I mean, sometimes it's really practical things, Right? And I want to make sure that I'm in relationship with a group of people that I'm going to grow with. Those are kind of just starting points. Um, and then from there, it's in community that you begin to, to identify. Um, you know what? In this season, um, I really want to grow in prayer. So for the next 40 days, I'm going to commit to a season of growth and develop that muscle. We've got so many spiritual disciplines. Maybe it's a season of fasting. And I really want the Lord to teach me this area so now you begin to isolate muscles like you do in any type of athletic event um, there's seasons where you're sprinting there's seasons where it's a marathon so I throughout the year I map out my year um, I pray through it I go what are the what are the rhythms throughout the year and within those rhythms then I kind of begin to map out where I want to grow where I want to stretch myself keeping an open mind to things that happen along the way so I've got six rhythms that I've identified in the year, which includes a rest rhythm, which includes a heavy season where I'm up extra early seeking the Lord. But then after that season, I've prepped myself to have a rhythm of rest. So I'm not up at six in the morning then. I bump it back. Um, I choose to focus a little bit more on a season of, of listening, of rest, of joy, of doing activities and hobbies, because he wants us to enjoy ourselves. So I think, um, you know, I'm kind of all over the place, but you're, given, you're getting kind of little tastes of things that it begins with 
having that growth mindset to, to grow spiritually and go from there. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all able to, to have this growth mindset too. Yeah. Um, I, I read the book Grit. Uh, yeah, book yeah, yeah. That's great. And it speaks on the growth mindset thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. And That's probably where I got it. it probably. <laughs> and yes, and, and you're able to, to, to develop that growth mindset as well. Right. Um, and on the sports analogy, I, that's, that hits home for me. Um, mm. In college, actually, was was where I really got deeper into community. And mm. that was super important for me because uh, a buddy of mine started an athlete's Bible study. Mm. Um, so that allowed me to be with people um, that were in the faith. But also I could, I, you know, had a lot of similarities too. And I could speak to on on these certain you know issue or you know certain challenges I had and, and rejoice in these joy a lot of the joys I had mm. um, and I found that as a good starting point mm. and then I was able to branch out and, and surround myself with different types of groups mm. um, I love that so I mean for me I, I don't think picture. I don't think it always needs to be stepping out and you know taking this gigantic step and immersing yourself into something different but mm-hmm. you you find immersion there as well that's so good that's that's it, man. You're using sports as a way to frame out your spiritual life, just like I just talked about music, mm-hmm. just like I talked about um, photography, right? Yep. It go back to that. And uh, we use all of these areas in life to, uh, to frame and for us to see God at work in the world. Absolutely. Um, last, you know, last few things I wanted to mention. Yep. Um, you discussed earlier of how you're you're questioning too, um, and you're you're asking these questions. You want to walk with others in this journey. Um, what are some of the biggest questions that you're facing right now in this season, um, and you know, in your journey? And um, I, I guess, and then also a two part question: What's on your agenda in the near future? Mm-hmm. I'm always, I, you know, that's tough because I have so many questions. Um, a great definition of wonder is to stand in the center of a question. And I think as Christ followers, we're called to stand in the center of questions with him. And, let, and, and I think he enjoys it when we wrestle with him. So I'm, I'm always asking lots and lots of questions with him. You know, I think one just practically is that idea of spiritual gifts that I talked about yesterday. I would say 90% of our congregation probably doesn't know much about spiritual gifts. I think either because they've seen it abused, either because they think it's weird, and or there's theology differences. Feel like there's that no longer it's it was part of the apostolic age and no longer part of the modern day. And uh, but I think the reality is is um, I don't really need to argue theology either. It's evident and it's at work or it's not. And I've seen it at work, and I'm going to believe that it exists. And it's like, it's almost like cheating against the enemy. We've been given an advantage, a free gift to build each other up. Like, that's insane to me. That's beautiful. So I'm, I'm given a gift of a discernment or um, mercy, and that's activated in my life in order specifically um, to strengthen another person how beautifully humble, selfless act that is. And yet we turn it into something goofy and wacky and 
you know, um, the enemy wants us to be divided against that stuff. And so I think I'm asking, like, how do we organically and beautifully grow and develop that in a way that it's not overemphasized, yet at the same time not talked about at all? And I feel like those are the two options in church world. Crazy, wacky, or nothing. And I'm going, come on, it's right there. So how do we grow and develop that there? That's one question. Another one is discipleship. How do we um, continue to make make the main thing the main thing? Uh, We have grown quite large. So how do you... Disciples aren't mass-produced. They're handcrafted. So how do you continue to handcraft disciples and not mass-produce something? And when you get large, you can get in a tendency to mass-produce. And I don't think that's the right biblical model. So as we have grown large... How do we get away from just getting people to show up at church and be consumers and really intentionally and faithfully focus on this idea of discipling one another so we can disciple others and the multiplication model takes place? So I'm asking those questions. How do we restructure? How do we re-engage that? What do we need to experiment with? Um, That's another huge question for me. Um, And I just sit in those all the time and wrestle and talk. and So anyway. Just a few ideas. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much. Those are, you know, all the questions I had. Um, is there anything else um, that you want to mention, or and also where where folks can find you if they, you know, want to reach out? No, I just I'm that? I'm proud of you. Uh, I'm proud of you for doing this. I think this uh, this is intentionality on your part and um, creating a community around dialogue and wrestling. And I would just continue to encourage you in that. Um, that's a gift God's given you, and you're obedient to it. And, uh, you know, you're going to get some hurdles al- along the way. You'll probably, you know, feel like you shouldn't be doing this at some point along the way. And I just want to keep encouraging you to do this because I think um, you're spurring other men on um, by creating environments where they can be themselves. They can, it, it's a safe place for them to grow. Yet it's, it's a deeply challenging environment. And I see that in you. I see that in the way you kind of work is um, you're hungry and you're intentional. So I just want to celebrate where that is in you. Um, enjoy that. Don't rush too much. I would say that over everybody. Don't rush too much through this. Sit outside for an hour and do nothing and just look outside and watch the birds and enjoy the gift of God and all that he's done. Let's not rush too much. Let's not be busy. Busy is lazy. Busy people are just not intentional people. And I choose to not live a busy life. I choose to live a life that um, hungers and thirsts for God first. And all of these things will be added unto you. And uh, I do that super imperfectly. Screw up all the time. I get angry. I get mad. I, I cuss sometimes. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm a complete human being and unsanctified and growing towards that. But at least we can have a bar that's high and push each other. And you're doing that. So I just I bless that in you, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, and just to close this out, would you uh, please close us in prayer? Yeah. Lord, we thank you for this conversation. Um, For those that made it all the way through and are still listening, I pray you'd bless them. 
where they're at, uh, wherever they're listening on the road, at home. I pray that you would protect their minds and their hearts. Um, they are able to overcome. Um, they are able to um, to grow and to awake each morning and to be strengthened as men. I, I just, uh, you know, as I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, just uh, it's time for us to man up a little bit. Um, I want to call out some of us that uh, it's not a shame thing. That's the enemy that would be speaking that. I think what what the Spirit would be speaking would be drawing you out. Um, calling that which is good within you, and he wants to use those gifts that God has given each one of us. So may we walk with courage and obedience. Uh, maybe may we seek good in this world and choose to be agents to help repair and restore this hurting and broken world. And we just bless Tyler, this ministry, and what you're doing through it. And we give you all of the glory and the praise. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. It was great having you on. I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Thank you all for tuning in and sticking through the episode of The Guys Like Us with Pastor Dave Schmigal. Had a really awesome conversation with Pastor Dave, and hope that you all had the same. If you'd like to reach out to me or to Pastor Dave, um, you can reach out to me, and then I will put you in contact with Pastor Dave. Or if you'd like to go to National Community Church, you can find him at the Lincoln Theater. Thank you all, and have a great day.